And welcome back. Hi. Uh, oh, did you say hi? I said hi. Okay. Just Sorry. surprised me. Yeah. It's all right. <laughs> it has been that kind of week, everybody. I'm sorry that we are inconsistent in our consistency, uh, but I just want you to know that we will be consistently inconsistent. So, (laughs) yeah, at least you can hang your hat on the fact that you can't hang your hat on us. So, uh, how you been? Um, that's kind of a loaded question. I say as if I don't see you like most of every day. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm, you know. You're good? I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm right. here. <laughs> That's all right. I'm ready to curl up and go to bed. It's been a long week, everybody. We're tired. It's, <laughs> it's been a long time. You can blame our full-time employers. If you would like to employ us full-time so we don't have to do that anymore, please contact me uh, directly uh, with a job offer, and I will consider it. <laughs> and I'll tell you right now, more than likely, you're going to have a hard time affording me. Uh, so, uh, before we get into, uh, this week's film, Tomorrow Never Dies, uh, I just want to say that the past week has been really awesome, uh, and really horrible, um, depending on what pieces of news you're watching, uh, but in one particular area, it has been both, and that has been in the field of video game pre-orders. <laughs> uh, so if you're excited about the new systems coming out, PlayStation 5, uh, Xbox Series X, and Xbox Series S, uh, the good news is there's new systems coming in less than two months. The bad news is you might not be able to get a hold of one. Uh, fortunately, after much weeping and gnashing of teeth, I was able to get a pre-order in for a PlayStation 5, and I am so excited. Now they charge you for two. Did they ever fix that? Uh, so there is currently a hold, but no charge. Okay. So as long as I don't get charged for two, or <laughs> as long as I receive, receive two for a charge of two, then I will be fine. Yeah. I'm just excited for the system. So yeah. I'm not worrying I, too much. It'll be fine. We, I'm happy that you got it. I'm excited. Happy birthday. Yes, happy birthday <laughs> and many more. Um, so moving on from that, getting to this week's film. This week's movie was, uh, well, what did you think of it? Um, let's see. I was kind of in and out for it, but it was, it was fun, right? It was. It was, oh, I remember my thoughts on some of it was very, it was silly in a good kind of way. Uh-huh. And I enjoyed it. So this week's film, uh, Tomorrow Never Dies, for me, felt like going back to Roger Moore. It felt like a comfortable pair of shoes. It, um, in some ways, that was really welcome. In some ways, not so much. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it felt like if Roger Moore had been around while John Woo was making action movies, this is the film we would have gotten. <laughs> um, and there are some parts of it that really work, work uh-huh. really well. Yeah. Um, I think that a lot of the action is a lot of fun. I think that uh, a lot of the charming 007 moments work really well. The gadgetry works really well. Uh, I think uh, Michelle Yeoh is a very interesting character. Uh, some things that don't work are Terry Hatcher's performance is is probably one of the worst things about this movie. Mm-hmm. She is not a bad actress, but this was a bad performance. Um, 
And uh, Michelle Yeoh and Pierce Brosnan just did not have any chemistry yeah. uh, romantically. I thought they worked really well as co-workers, and had they pursued that dynamic, I think it would have been a lot of fun. But I was talking to you about this on the way into work yesterday. The romance between the two of them just felt obligatory. It yeah. felt like... Well, you're the attractive woman, and I'm James Bond, and it's the end of the film, so, well, we're having sex. Yeah. And it just, it felt, it felt obligatory to a point where it felt more ridiculous than normal. To the point that I want the next James Bond film to end with him with a single overweight grandma. (laughs) You're putting that back in my head again, seriously? Yes. (laughs) I just want him to go, well, Agnes, we've saved the world. Bond, I'm so happy. Agnes, what do you say we turn the heat up? Oh, James. (laughs) And that's the last thing you're left with before you throw up and leave the theater. People would never watch another Bond movie again. That's all right. It's it's fine. It's Daniel Craig's last. Nobody cares. Uh, it it was it was kind of ridiculous. It it was bad. We've had movies where Bond hasn't had great chemistry with his female lead before, but this was it. Just didn't work. Honestly, neither of the female leads felt like they had much chemistry with mm-hmm. Pierce Brosnan yeah. in this film. Which is a shame because, like, there are random women that he walks by that he seems to have more chemistry with. Yeah. But, anyhow, we'll get to the film proper. All right. So, first things first. This film has a proper James Bond score. We start off with the James Bond theme and the gun barrel. And let me tell you, ladies and gentlemen, I want to give a big welcome to Sir David Arnold. I don't know if he's actually been knighted, but he needs to be. (laughs) Uh, Because this man, this wonderful, wonderful man who has done such other great scores as the Independence Day score from 1996, comes in and man, this feels like a James Bond movie just in the soundtrack. He will do James Bond soundtracks from now until 2008 with the film Quantum of Solace. And boy howdy, it is welcome musical score. It is good. It is brassy. It is there when it needs to be more contemporary. It is, but it just works so well. And my goodness, it just works. So getting into the film proper, we start off as one does at an arms bazaar at the Russian border. The arms bazaar is under surveillance by M and MI6. They're watching closely by their giant surveillance cameras that anyone a mile away would be (laughs) able to see. We are introduced to a bunch of 'er ne'er-do-wells, but our named 'er ne'er-do-well is uh, Henry Gupta, uh, played by Ricky Jay. If you're not sure who this gentleman is, uh, he is... Uh, actually a professional magician who has appeared in such films as uh, The Prestige and he is the narrator in the film The Brothers Bloom. Uh, So, fun fact, this does not appear in the film, but originally he was going to fight James Bond and throw playing cards at him in like a a duel and they cut the scene. Oh, man. 
Um, it's okay. This movie is ridiculous enough. Yeah. It, that would have been out of place, which is a weird thing to say in this film. Yeah. But we'll get to that later. In the meantime, uh, back at MI6 headquarters, the Navy takes over. They've seen enough. They tell MI6 to pull their man out. Uh, at this point, the man, known as White Knight, begins to raise concern about one of the scenes on the camera. Yes, I see it, the agent uh, on the con says. And right then, the conveniently placed Jeep pulls out of the way, revealing nuclear torpedoes strapped to the jet. At this point, we find the Navy has already launched a cruise missile that can't be aborted. Uh, White Knight at this point can't be reached, and we are we find out very quickly that Pierce Brosnan, James Bond himself, is White Knight. He uses a lighter to uh, fool a guard into being like, oh, you're lighting my cigarette. Oh, you're punching me, and just knocks the guy <laughs> out. Uh, he uses that trick a couple times in this film. Uh, but then we find out that it's not just any lighter because James Bond doesn't have anything that is just utility and use. It is also a grenade. Uh, also his job strap, same deal. Uh, so uh, Bond just shoots at everything that moves, moving across to the jet and steals it. Uh, how all of these guys are such bad shots. Uh, they all go to the same school with all the other henchmen. Uh, at this point, he knocks out the co-pilot uh, and takes off. Uh, as he's taking off, another jet takes off behind him. Uh, it's at this point uh, we find out that the co-pilot is not only still alive, but still awake. As the bazaar goes up in flames, the co-pilot regains consciousness and attempts to strangle Bond from behind. The other jet is attempting to fire on Bond and can't seem to take him down. Bond steers with his knees because he has made many a Starbucks trip. He knows how to handle his cell phone in one hand, his coffee in the other, and then steer with his knees. He's got this. He could do barrel rolls. He can do whatever he wants. He has got this. Uh, taking driving lessons from Scott Henderson. Um, but Bond maneuvers his jet under the rival fighter, uh, and he hits the eject seat for his co-pilot, ejecting the unhelpful co-pilot up into the other jet, killing both bad guys. Uh, MI6 erupts in applause as we go into our musical interlude. Uh, and at this point in the film, uh, I'd like to let you know that this uh, version of Tomorrow Never Dies was not the original song uh, up for consideration in this film. Uh, at the time, uh, Cheryl Crow was one of the biggest recording artists on the planet and so the producers decided hey we really want to go popular with this we're going to pull in Miss Crow she does a decent job on the song uh, we get some x-ray titles uh, what you may or may not know is the title at the end of the film uh, titled Surrender uh, the song uh, done by KD Lang was the original title song for this film uh, and you can tell that it's got more of a James Bond feel. It's very brassy. It's very bombastic. Uh, lots of muted trumpets in it. Uh, mm -hmm. I highly recommend if you can YouTube it. Uh, it did not come on my Best of Bond soundtrack. Um, but a good song in its own right. Listen to it. It's, it is definitely a Bond theme song if you've ever heard one. Uh, it sounds a lot more timeless than some of the other... Uh, songs we're going to hear, especially going forward. 
feel like it's kind of sad that they replaced what should have been because somebody else was more popular. Uh, it's um, it's pretty common. Mm-hmm. Uh, even just in casting and, and movies and, and television shows, you you want to draw the biggest audience possible. Yeah. And unfortunately, sometimes when you do that, it costs you. Uh, even the casting of Terry Hatcher in this film, she was very popular at the time. She was Lois Lane on Lois and Clark, The New Adventures of Superman. Uh, very hot commodity at the time, but ultimately uh, miscast. Yeah. Um, and, and that's sad because she's a fine actress, just not great in this. Um, at the end of the credits, uh, we find out who's directing this film. And uh, for a while, I thought it was a joke. Um, because it seems like a James Bond euphemistic name, uh, Roger Spottiswood. Um, and if you didn't get that, just say it again and again and again until someone tells you to shut up because it's inappropriate. Um, but at this point we go back into an intelligent scene with lots of people in naval uniforms. Uh, we are on the Devonshire and they are being circled by Chinese MiGs. Uh, in a skirmish off the coast of what they say is Chinese waters. Uh, Meanwhile, in the big, deep uh, offices of Fox News, uh, Carver Media, uh, Mr. Gupta tampers with a, uh, what we will find out is a GPS encoder, uh, sending the British off course. We are introduced to a henchman, Mr. Stamper, who uses a remote sea drill to sink the Devonshire. Uh, Gerard Butler has his first blink and you miss it role as a young seaman. If you don't know who Gerard Butler is, he is a very, uh, we'll call him a B-class actor. He hasn't been in a lot of uh, big AAA blockbusters, but... Wasn't he a Phantom of the Opera? He was in the 2004 Phantom of the Opera as the titular Phantom of the Opera. He was in 300 as King Leonidas. Uh, He was in uh, the Olympus Has Fallen trilogy uh, of movies as uh, not John McClane. Because all of the movies are basically diehard at the White House. (laughs) Um, But this was his first on-screen role. Uh, Never done anything before. And he literally gets to scream for the camera before he dies. Nice. Um, In the meantime, the bad guys blow up uh, one of the Chinese MiGs. Uh, Carver creates a headline. Uh, Elliot Carver is our villain of this film. And uh, in the meantime, Stamper executes the survivors with a machine gun. Uh... The crew record the whole thing on camera, which is kind of sick. But when you find out that uh, they're all working for Fox News, uh, sorry, Carver Media, uh, we uh, we see that sensationalist news is the order of the day. <laughs> anyway, uh, so this character, in all seriousness, is uh, designed after the newspaper barons of of ye old time and unfortunately of our own time who make news in order to basically control the world around them. Uh, He wants to own all of the headlines. He wants everything uh, in TV, movies, books, newspapers. 
the one thing he does not mention at all in this film, which is funny after the last film's reliance on the internet, is the internet. Yeah. No websites are ever mentioned at all in this film, which is really weird. Uh, 1997 is the year after my family living out in the middle of Santa Fe, Tennessee, middle of nowhere. We had the internet. So for this movie in 1997 to not have the internet as a plot point is honestly shocking. Yeah. But anyway, uh, we go over to Bond and of course he's seducing a Danish professor. Uh, he takes a call with Money Punny while he uh, continues to uh, be intimate with her. Uh, and uh, this whole scene, he has more chemistry with this woman who has approximately five seconds of screen time than he does with any other female lead in the film. <laughs> uh, again, GPS is over-enunciated because it's 1997 and we're not all using it all the time. Uh, the British are trying to figure out what went wrong. Uh, all the information is in tomorrow's newspaper. Uh, tomorrow is the name of Elliot Carver's newspaper, by the way. Uh, before anyone can investigate. Uh, they talk about, hey, they only just found his body. Why, why is this in the newspaper? Uh, we go over to Rolls-Royce where Bond is being briefed on the way to the airport. Uh, Moneypenny and M are briefing him. He has 48 hours. He is to exploit his relationship with his ex, Paris Carver, Elliot Carver's wife. Uh, he is told to pump her for information. And uh, it all feels really gross, even to Bond. And when even Bond is questioning the, the nature of an operation like this, you need to go, hey, you know what, man? You've got a sex addiction, and if you're saying there's a problem with this, we're going to reevaluate. I'm sorry, man. This is a... It's really jacked up that we're doing this. I, I get it, man. Yeah. But no, they just send him on his way to completely demolish a person's personal life. Uh, Bond sets down in Hamburg, Germany. Uh, Q poses as the Avis rental agent. Uh, Bond is given a BMW 750 and a cell phone. Uh, the interesting thing about this car is it is not a, it is not a coupe. It is not a convertible. This is a four-door sedan, uh, which is unusual for Bond cars. Most of the time, he's driving something that's kind of sporty. This time, he's driving something that's... Uh, it's a little bit more sensible, which is odd for Bond. But for the sake of this film and the stunt we'll talk about shortly, it makes sense, and it actually works for the stunt. Yeah. Uh, a lot of these films are actually reverse engineered around locations and stunts so I can understand why this particular BMW would be the one that they would choose yeah um, we find out that he can control the car by using a touchpad on the uh, on the phone and there is no latency between his touching the car uh, touching the touchpad and the car moving uh, I wish I had that I play uh, Xbox remotely on my phone and I'm like oh man I missed a jump because it's a split second behind where my thumb is and I cannot imagine driving a real car that way. Anyhow, that night, Bond attends a gala for the launch of Carver Media's satellite news network, uh, Fox, uh, Carver, never mind. Uh, we meet Wei Lin, uh, played by Michelle Yeoh, and Paris, played by Terry Hatcher. Uh, Wei Lin is a very interesting character, played very well by a fantastic actress and uh, action heroine. Uh, 
Paris uh, is played by a woman who is a very talented actress but does not do a good job in this movie. Uh, neither is what they appear. Bond receives a cold reception from uh, Paris. Uh, he is posing as a banker uh, at this point because Carver is getting a little jealous. Uh, he is roughed up by uh, Carver roughs up has Bond roughed up by his thugs. Uh, we get some good uh, soundproof room gags. He crashes the party and the launch when he escapes by shutting down the power. Uh, at this point, we go over to Bond's room where he sits down with his first love. No, not Paris Smirnoff Vodka because product placement is important. Uh, if the Avis and BMW earlier were not a hint. At this point, he sits down, puts... Uh, puts a gun on the table with a silencer and sips his vodka. And it's very classic Bond imagery. Uh, it doesn't necessarily fit with this film. Uh, tonally, this feels this scene in particular feels like it belongs in a much more grounded Bond film. Uh, I appreciate it. It just doesn't quite fit in the film as a whole. Uh, let's see here. Losing my place. Uh... We find out that Paris is caught in the middle of uh, Bond and Carver, uh, as both are demanding the other, uh, b- demanding that she exploit the other uh, for their relationship. Uh, Paris shows up and uh, Bond beds her because that's what Bond does. Uh, and then Gupta uh, uncovers Bond's identity and Paris's relationship to him. And it's at this point that I question, hey. Um, Carver knew that there was something going on between them and sent his wife to seduce Bond. He knows there's something going on, but then he acts very, very jealous at this point in the movie uh, and orders uh, Bond and his wife killed. Is that what's going to happen? We'll find out in just a moment. We're back. Back at Bond's room. Bond offers to get Paris out as they both get dressed after, I don't know, three minutes of passion. (laughs) The light has not changed at all in the room. Uh, She tells him how to find what he's after at Carver's headquarters. Uh, Bond infiltrates Carver's tower, uh, obtaining the GPS encoder and breaking the a uh, very important satellite that Gupta tells his men not to mess with. Uh, Waylin sets off an alarm after Bond was so careful not to. She and Bond escape the tower separately, uh, but not before we get the answer to the classic riddle, what's black and white and red all over? Uh, it's newspapers with dead guy on them uh, after a guy gets thrown into the printing press. Uh, sadly, no one ever makes that joke, and it was really disappointing. Um Bond returns to his room to find Paris dead, uh, and in the background, uh, someone is giving their uh, eulogy or obituary uh, on a news recording, which is really off-putting. Dr. Kaufman uh, is in there and holds Bond at gunpoint, uh, interrogating Bond while uh, Gupta's henchmen try to get into the BMW. Dr. Kaufman is set to fake Bond's suicide, uh, when the bad guys call saying that they cannot get into the car, 
Dr. Kaufman is very embarrassed uh, and asks Bond to uh, open the car for him willingly. Otherwise, he'll have to torture him. Bond uses the taser and the phone to disarm Kaufman before executing him. Dr. Kaufman says, I'm just a professional trying to do a job. And Bond goes, (laughs) so am I, and pulls the trigger. And a move that, once again, feels... This movie is kind of all over the place as far as tone, but uh, he then sniffs Paris, which is kind of weird. Um, Maybe he's kissing her, but it looks like he's sniffing her. Yeah. Um, He then uses his phone to drive the BMW remotely, jumping into the backseat along the way. Uh, We get a really, really cool chase scene where we get all the gadgets uh, in a parking garage chasing. Uh, The thing that's really interesting to me is... This is a very dynamic chase scene. The entire thing takes place in a parking garage. Something that I hadn't thought about the three times I watched it just uh, before this, because you're kind of caught up in the moment, you're enjoying the stunts, you're enjoying everything takes place inside the parking garage. Um, Which when you really think about it, it's like, all right, why wouldn't you like leave? Just leave. (laughs) Walk outside after you got what you... Anyhow, uh, Bond distracts the guards with his car being thrown off the building, uh, driving them to drive off the edge of the parking garage. He gets away. Uh, at a nearby U.S. airbase, he meets uh, Jack Wade from Goldeneye, uh, played by Jodon Baker. Uh, Bond is in uniform, and it, man, it's just always good to see Commander Bond in his naval blues. Uh At this point, we uh, go up into a C-130 where Bond halo jumps into the Devonshire's crash site. As he's about to jump out of the plane, we find out that the crash site, because of the GPS encoder being tampered with, is actually not in Chinese waters or American waters. It is in the territorial waters of Vietnam, and every last bit of Bond's equipment is labeled by the U.S. government, which is... (laughs) Not great, considering our relationship with Vietnam uh, after the 1960s and 70s. I digress. Uh, Using the encoder... Yep, already said that. Uh, Bond dives into the wreck to find evidence of Carver's tampering. Waylon is in underwater as well. Uh, They get into a brief fight before they figure out that they're together. The ship starts to sink uh, as it's shifting, falling into a trench. Uh, Bond and Waylon escape through a torpedo hatch. As they approach uh, the surface, they come out. Waylon tries to wave over her boat, uh, but surprise, Stamper is on board and shoots her, uh, I guess it's her guide, with a spear gun in kind of a graphic scene. Um, I missed that part. It's, it's not graphic graphic, but you see a spear go through a guy. Yeah, I'm glad I missed it. Well, yeah. <laughs> Anyhow, uh, Bond and Waylon are taken to Carver headquarters handcuffed uh, together. Uh, the headquarters is in Saigon. Carter is already writing Bond and Waylon's obituaries. Uh, even though it'd be really weird uh, to have your obituary in a paper nowhere near where you were born, regularly operated, <laughs> uh, had any family, uh, because Waylon is Chinese, not Vietnamese. Uh, 
And Carver says something that's very profound, especially in the modern context. Words are the new weapons. Uh, and at, at this point that Bond calls Carver out for being an absolute megalomaniac. Uh, saying things that are absolutely atrocious and false uh, in order to gain power. Uh, it sounds familiar. Uh, Stamper plans to torture the agents, but they escape. Still cuffed to each other, they choose a BMW motorcycle for a fun chase through Saigon. Uh, and it's a BMW motorcycle because uh, if you're driving a vehicle in a James Bond movie at this time, it better be a BMW. <laughs> uh, at least if you're a good guy. If you're a bad guy, you can drive a Chevy. Um <laughs> Uh, the chase ends with a massive helicopter crash, um, and it's throughout the scene that Bond and Waylon have a good partnership dynamic, a good buddy cop dynamic. The scene that they share in a moment where they are showering, fully clothed, yeah. uh, not really romantic. Good buddy cop di- dynamic, not really romantic. Um, Jackie Chan and Chris Tucker had a better romantic dynamic in Rush Hour <laughs> than these two these two do in this film. Um, Waylon gets out of her cuffs and leaves Bond cuffed to a drain. She returns to her hideout as Bond searches for Thug's attack. Waylon as Bond knocks out their lookouts. She handles herself quite well. Uh, and that is because uh, Michelle Yeoh, if you are not familiar, is fantastic at martial arts action. Uh, I highly recommend the films uh, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Super Cop, uh, pretty much anything she was in in the 80s or 90s, she is just phenomenal. Uh, give her IMDb a look. You will find a good action film. I almost guarantee it. Uh, she's also really good in Star Trek Discovery, uh, which is long after the fact. <laughs> so, uh, da, 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 da. Uh, they discern that Carver is using a stealth boat uh, in order to operate uh out of Saigon, uh, they arm up, uh, and as they're arming up, Bond is messing around in there, just like a kid in a candy store. Um, and we get a watch that looks exactly like James Bond's watch, uh, that he puts on. It's apparently, according to Waylon, new and improved. Um, <laughs> he said that says that he's going to type up a message and goes to the keyboard, and it's a QWERTY keyboard. But it's got all of the Chinese characters, and we get a cute uh, U-type scene. Yeah. Um, this film is the first use uh, by James Bond of the P-99, the Walther P-99. Up to this point, he has used um, he's used some various handguns in addition to the Walther PPK, but most of the time he goes back to that traditional gun. This. This film is the first time he uses the P99, which he will use until, I want to say he uses it until midway through the Daniel Craig films. Anyhow, uh, as they're searching the coves right before nightfall, when it'll be really hard to see the boat in the dark, they find it. Uh, As it opens fire under the cover of darkness on both the Chinese and British, Uh, they begin... Bond and Waylon begin placing charges, uh, and Waylon is captured. Bond fakes his death by stabbing a guard and then dumping his body into the water as Stamper and his men shoot at the body. Uh, both fleets are notified uh, secretly to look for the stealth boat. 
Bond captures Gupta and holds him at gunpoint. Uh, Gupta being the person who has full access to the missile uh, that was stolen from the Devonshire. Uh, Carver kills Gupta. Uh, and it's at this point, seeing Carver on the boat, that I go, why is Carver on the boat? Why on earth is Carver on the boat? He wasn't on the boat earlier. Earlier, when the boat was out operating, he had a direct video link to uh, Mr. Stamper, and he was talking to everybody and handling everything remotely like a good manager. He's like, hey, Stamper, I trust you, man. You got this. You do your thing. I'm going to stay on my end and do my thing. No. Carver has to come in and micromanage. And I'll tell you what, that's where the plan went wrong. He came in and micromanaged. So if you're listening and you're a micromanager, stop it. I'll tell you right now, you're going to end up with just a remote drill through the chest and you don't want that. Your your underlings don't want that. If you're going to conquer the world, you know, just learn to delegate a little bit. Delegate. Trust your people. They know what they're doing. Uh, and don't trust sycophantic yes men. Trust the people who say, hey, uh, maybe, maybe we should not do that. Just Trust your people. Anyhow, now that I've done uh, preaching at you for micromanaging, <laughs> uh, uh, the Chinese and uh, British navies uh, target the boat uh, after Bond blows up a portion of it via the remote detonator. Uh, Bond and Weyland attempt to st- uh, bleh, attempt to stop the cruise missile bound for Beijing. Weyland sabotages the boat. Bond blows up another part of the boat, uh, and there's just fire everywhere. And at this point, I'm wondering why they need to do anything, because the boat is on fire and looks to be taking heavy damage. Uh, The British damage the boat to the point that uh, the captain calls for everyone to abandon ship. Stamper once again captures Leilin, and it's at this point that you know the movie's fake, because there's no way she's getting captured. I'm pretty (laughs) sure Bond would be the one getting captured. Because she is handling like two MP5s, just one in each hand. And she is taking people out without even looking at them. Bond is like spraying and praying. He's just, he's like that bad Halo player, you know. He just never quite hits anything. He's just got a good team. But he's going to take all the credit anyway. Uh, Anyhow, uh, Bond kills a monologuing carver with a C-drill. See? There you go. Micromanaging. This is what happens. Um, and uh, as Bond is going to take care of the cruise missile, uh, Stamper holds Waylin in chains above Bond and says, Hey, back off. You've lost. Waylin tosses Bond some detonators. She is dropped into the water below. Bond plants the detonators, gets into a fight with Stamper. Uh, Bond, uh, I'm trying to remember what happened. Bond stamp, stab Stamper a lot and apparently doesn't hurt him, uh, which is apparently just something that happens when you're tall and blonde. So don't <laughs> stab tall blonde people. Maybe don't stab anyone. That's, yeah, that's don't, good, yeah, that's a good call. Don't stab people. Uh, controversial opinion, I know, but don't stab people. <laughs> um, uh, Stamper gets his foot caught under the missile. Uh, he grabs Bond, thinking that he'll fry Bond as the missile takes off. Bond cuts himself out of his vest and dives under the water as the missile takes off, setting off the detonators, blowing up Stamper and everything else. Uh, but not Bond, who is approximately under six inches of water. 
<laughs> Remember guys, six inches of water will save you from anything. Uh, Bond rescues Waylin, uh, and they get up and the search and rescue party is looking for them and they decide to have wreckage sex because why not? <laughs> and that's how this film ends. And then we at least get a good song in Katie Lang's Surrender. So right up front, I'll go ahead and say, I enjoyed this movie. It's a lot of fun. It's a fun ride. Uh, it doesn't really go anywhere. Uh, this isn't necessarily a journey, but the, the trip along the way is a lot of fun. I don't know. It's really good action. Some, some fun one-liners, some cute moments. Uh, it's not Pierce Brosnan's best. Goldeneye set a very high target for that. Um, even though that, as this, uh, are both very much, uh, period pieces where Goldeneye feels very much like that early to mid nineties, uh, hacker thriller. This feels much more like a John Woo movie with the James Bond labels slapped on it. Um, it, for me, it works more than it doesn't, but when it doesn't work, like when Terry Hatcher's giving lines like, tell me, James, do you still sleep with a gun under your pillow? And just sounds so disinterested to yeah. be on the set. It just, oh, it, it could have been so much more. Yeah. Uh, but I will say that I, when I looked up Mr. Spot is Wood, um, in IMDb, I was not surprised that this wasn't the strongest James Bond film after finding out that he was the director of Stop or My Mom Will Shoot. <laughs> if you have not seen Stop or My Mom Will Shoot, all you need to know is Sylvester Stallone, Estelle Geddes. It's as much fun as it sounds. I highly recommend you check that one and Tomorrow Never Dies Out. Guys, thank you so much for swinging by this week. We'll be back next week or thereabouts with The World Is Not Enough. I hope you'll come back and hear some more. Bye.